This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 70, another Wisdom Wednesday. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja Wisdom Wednesday. I'm your host, MC Lobsher, and thank you so much for spending some time with me today. In a previous episode, I'd mentioned that a couple of listeners had asked for me to discuss in a Wisdom Wednesday the impact on the economy and markets, as well as the financial monetary systems, the policies of both candidates for the presidency will have. And then I explained, because the election has been so emotional for many people, that I would look at some of the policy positions of the candidate that wins the election after the election. You know, this election has been extremely polarizing and torn apart the the country, communities, friends, families, and it has been extremely emotional. And as I've mentioned before, this is all done by design by all the parties involved you know, campaign strategists are paid to achieve these outcomes. And as with every election, half of the country is angry and depressed, and the other half is hopeful that the person uh, will do whatever he or she said that they will do. Today's show is going to be very unemotional for me, since, as I've discussed previously on the show, I really don't care who becomes the president. I care about how I keep investing in myself and my skill sets, and how I will be able to react and adapt regardless who wins. I think that's the mindset that you need in every area of your life. We have to eliminate as much uncontrollable variables in our life as we possibly can, and then position ourselves through education and research to be able to adapt and adjust to the results of or outcomes of those uncontrollable variables. So I'm not in Donald Trump's, Hillary Clinton, Jill Stein, or Gary Johnson's corner. I am in my corner and the corner of my family and my friends. The way that this divide-and-conquer propaganda matrix has been structured has people actually believed that if you criticize one candidate that you support the other, and also if you say something positively about one candidate you are automatically against the other one. So I think this really stops us from having really great conversations based on evidence, facts, reason, logic, and critical thinking. I mean, I think it's really nuts. As a mentor of mine, Doug Casey, would say, picking a president is not like picking a movie that we would all want to go and watch together. And just think about how hard it is if you and five of your best friends are going to the movies and you haven't decided before you go to the movies to pick a movie. How Just think how hard it is for you guys to decide on what movie to go and watch and a movie that everybody would want to see. So I will also say this before we jump into today's topic that today's show is speculative and based on opinion. So, of course, I'm going to look at information that's available 
and um, some information that's put out there by President-elect Trump. But since I'm not Nostradamus or a soothsayer, um, this will contain a huge element of speculation and opinion. And because we don't really know if some of these policies will be enacted and implemented. This is also not a comprehensive review. Just some policies and positions that will affect the economy, your wealth and money. So I am cherry-picking policies that I think are, are important. So if you feel that I missed something, please uh, go ahead and research that particular point. And before I jump into the economy and markets and monetary and financial system under President-elect Donald Trump, I'll just share a quick overview of an article that I just shared with my newsletter subscribers. Again, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at CashflowNinja.com or text CashflowNinja, one word, all capitalized, to 44222. That's two fours and three twos. Donald J. Trump was elected the 45th president of the United States of America. Trump had one of the biggest victories in 28 years, winning 57% of the Electoral College with 306 electoral votes against Clinton's 228. 31 of the 50 states, or 62% of the states. Clinton won the popular vote. There was a difference in the votes between uh, around about 230,000, or 0.4%. Now, in California and New York, Clinton beat Trump by a combined total of 4 million votes. So those two states obviously had a huge impact on the popular vote. The media have kept their bias against President-elect Trump, focusing on Clinton's popular vote majority and the violent protests that are going on all over the country. What they really have failed to report to is that the United States is not a democracy. It was never intended to be a a democracy, and it never was one. Um, It was created and designed to be a constitutional republic. The founding fathers were really inspired by works such as Plato's Republic, which I would highly recommend to any of the listeners that wants to understand the philosophy of why the founding fathers feared a democratic form of government. The Founding Fathers argued many of these ideas in the Federalist Papers. So if you want to go ahead and read some of their ideas, that's a great resource. Two pretty famous quotes regarding this subject matter, too, is when Benjamin Franklin walked out of the hall, when they were basically putting together the Constitution and deciding upon what form of government the United States will be, Someone had asked Benjamin Franklin, Mr. Franklin, what type of government did we have? And Benjamin Franklin's response was, a republic as long as you can keep it. The other famous quote from Benjamin Franklin, too, is that democracy is two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for dinner. But in a constitutional republic, the sheep would have a gun. (laughs) So... They clearly feared uh, just a democratic form of government. So I see that there's a lot of this in the news, but I just felt that I wanted to share that right away. The other big lesson 
of the week was the realization of many people just how biased and corrupt the media is. Now, Trump's victory sent shockwaves through not only the United States and the world, but why? You have to realize that the media doesn't want to inform or educate you and tell you what's going on and what's happening, but they're really selling a narrative and trying to create a reality according to an agenda that they are pushing. Now, I've covered on my podcast how six media corporations own and control over 90% of the media that we consume. Now, this was largely due to the Telecommunications Act that was passed in 1996 that allowed all of the mergers and acquisitions and media monopolies. WikiLeaks exposed how prominent journalists were basically on the Hillary Clinton campaign's team and received talking points and how they even had conference calls with instructions of how to frame the election. If you want to try and understand how the media is basically the public relations arm of the establishment, there is a great article that investigative journalist Glenn Greenwald did um, where he basically put all these emails together containing this media collusion. And Greenwald is actually considered to be kind of a left-leaning reporter, but clearly he's just reporting what was going on, as you would expect from a journalist. The coverage was so bad during this election that some companies are now in total damage control. The New York Times, for example, which they have lost almost 90% of their profits, they even issued a letter to their readers, which read, As we reflect on this week's momentous result and the months of reporting and polling that preceded it, we aim to rededicate ourselves to the fundamental mission of Times journalism. That is to report America and the world honestly, without fear or favor, striving always to understand and reflect all political perspectives and life experiences in the stories that we may bring you. Now, that's incredible for them to to put that out, um, basically uh, acknowledging that they did have some serious bias during this election cycle. Now, I found the, the commentary leading up to the election and the the fake polls extremely humorous since I knew that they would have to explain to their audiences afterwards how they got this so wrong. I mean, this was really like watching Brexit all over again. A great example of this is an article ran by the Huffington Post with a headline, Huff Post forecasts Clinton will win with 323 electoral votes. Democrats stand a strong chance of taking control of the Senate as well. Now, there is no way that this was an objective, well-researched piece by a journalist. For many reasons, I'll just say that if you look at the size of the rallies and the audiences that Donald Trump had across the country, you clearly knew that it was going to be a close election and a very, very competitive one. And I'll also say on this topic that this is also so much bigger than Donald Trump. Uh, There's a trend of anti-establishment and nationalism, which is global. 
look at Brexit, Trump, uh, Le Pen's support in France, the Five Star Movement in Italy, the Pirate Party in Iceland. I mean, it's a very, very big global developing trend. And I was extremely privileged to have the world's top trends forecaster on my podcast, Mr. Gerald Salente, in episode 19. And he predicted that Trump would win the White House. And he spoke about this accelerating trend. So I think the big lesson for all of us is that when it comes to your wealth and money, it's extremely important to read widely from all different perspectives. You know, do your own research and form your own opinion. I think the 2016 election was another great example of just how important it is to do that if you want to be able to identify and track trends. So in my research for today's show, I looked at Donald Trump's contract with the American voter that includes his 100-day action plan and some media on certain positions of Trump regarding the economy. His positions are all outlined on his website, donaldjtrump.com. And if we look at some of his positions, you can clearly see that there's an element here of supply-side economics or Reaganomics with borrowing and spending and tax cuts and hoping that this borrowing and spending with tax cuts uh, can spur economic growth. Now, the United States is $20 trillion in debt. And yes, between underfunded liabilities, way higher and much bigger than that. So he is inheriting a financial mess. And the debt could go up even more quickly with the supply side economic approach. I think what is not speculation is that debt under Donald Trump's presidency will go up. Um, Trump wants to spend on infrastructure. He wants to build up a, the military arsenal. Um, he wants to take care of the veterans and then also secure the border, building a wall and enforcing current immigration laws and also pass massive tax cuts. Keynesian economic theories said that tax cuts do not work. The supply-side economic philosophy says that tax cuts will work to spur this economic growth. And the supply-side economics and Reaganomics model uses the Laffer curve. And the Laffer curve is the theory developed by supply-side economist Arthur Laffer to show the relationship between tax rates and the amount of tax revenue collected by governments. The curve is used to illustrate Laffer's main premise that the more an activity such as production is taxed, the less of it is generated. So likewise, the less an activity is taxed, the more of it is generated. The Laffer curve suggests that as taxes increase from low levels, tax revenue collected by the government also increases. It also shows that tax rates increasing after a certain point would cause people to not work as hard or not at all, thereby reducing tax revenue. Eventually, if tax rates reach 100%, um, as shown on some of his models, all people would choose not to work because everything they earn would go to the government. Governments would like to be in the middle point of that curve because it's the point at which the government collects maximum amount of tax revenue 
while people continue to work hard. Now, the Austrian School of Economics believe that tax cuts and government spending cuts will work. So I just wanted to start there to give you the philosophical background of this approach. The Fed, on the one side, is also a very big topic when it comes to Trump. And this is also just opinion, but just from some of the statements that uh, Donald Trump did make during the presidential election cycle, I don't think that he likes the Federal Reserve very much. And I don't think the Federal Reserve likes him very much. They have mentioned of raising rates, and then they call a meeting, and then they speak for a long time and say nothing, and then keep rates the same. So will the Fed raise rates now that President Trump will be in office? I have spoken on the show before of how if the economy is so fragile that a 0.25% rate hike will create panic in the markets, we are really in big doo-doo, guys. It could cause a huge correction and crash, in my opinion, if they do raise the rates. As I've mentioned before, the markets are extremely overvalued, and the economy, in my opinion, is basically held together with duct tape. I think a rate hike will be the catalyst that starts a storm that rips this apart. Now, one of Donald Trump's advisors, Judy Sheldon, has said publicly that the Fed has created a false economy. I agree with her 100%. And she's also said that Donald Trump wants to see a Fed chairman with thinking more in line with his. She also said that Donald Trump is really against the Federal Reserve's monetary policy. And I believe one of her direct quotes was, people who have worked all of their lives have been penalized by low rates. Of course, this is referring to the retiring baby boomers that really can't get any interest on their savings. So here are a few things that Donald Trump has said about the Fed. When it comes to auditing the Fed, Trump said, it is so important to audit the Federal Reserve, and yet Ted Cruz missed the vote on the bill that would allow this to be done. Now, will Donald Trump uh, audit the Federal Reserve? I really don't think so. With regards to financial reform, uh, Trump has said, I think absolutely the Dodd-Frank has either to be eliminated or changed greatly. This is a very, very important uh, piece of information. I've talked about the Dodd-Frank bill on the show And basically how it was an overhaul of the financial system and how it changed the relationship just uh, in the banking industry between depositors with the bank itself. Um, I explained how people depositing money into a bank have become unsecured lenders to the bank. And actually written into the Dodd-Frank bill, there's a lot of bail-in provisions which allows uh, big banks to recapitalize their banks with help from the FTIC and deposits from their depositors. So there's a lot of controversial stuff in the Dodd-Frank, and this would be something that's really interesting for me to watch what he's going to do about the Dodd-Frank bill. Again, he might not do anything about it. He has said this before. So this is definitely something that I'm going to watch because – 
um, I think uh, it, this would be a very, very important thing to address. On the Fed chairman Yellen, Trump has said, um, but she's not a Republican. When her time is up, I most likely replace her because of the fact that I think it would be appropriate. Um, I, again, on that, I don't necessarily think that Yellen's going to be replaced. I think if you've listened to some of my previous podcasts, I think central banks wield a lot more power than people think they do. So um, I don't think that this is going to be the case whatsoever. As far as directors of the Federal Reserve, uh, this is really an unknown area for Trump. Um, the only thing that he said is, I'm not an enemy of the Fed. He said this on CNBC in 2016. Um, and then as far as rights, Trump has said, I happen to be a low interest rate person unless inflation rears its ugly head, which can happen at some point. He said this May 18th uh, in an interview with Reuters in 2016. So will the Fed raise rates? I don't know, but... <laughs> Politics is a nasty, nasty business, and I won't be surprised if the Fed wants to put President Trump in place uh, that they could or they could not. I mean, as I've mentioned before, I think the economy is so fragile at the moment that this could cause a severe correction or even a possible crash in the in the stock market if they do. In some news that I also researched, I came across this article from Reuters where Donald Trump called for the 21st century Gloss-Steagall banking law. U.S. Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump on Wednesday called for a 21st century version of the 1933 Gloss-Steagall law that required the separation of commercial and investment banking. Now, this is very, very interesting, and I will continue to also follow developments in this area um, because repealing the Gloss-Steagall law in the 1990s laid the foundation for the structural problems on Wall Street that, in my opinion, played a massive role in the financial crisis in 2007 and 2008. If we look at some other items in Donald Trump's contract with the American voter, we definitely come across trade deals. Uh, he said he's going to renegotiate NAFTA or withdraw under Article 2205 and then also announce the withdrawal from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. These two things, I think, is huge for his presidency. And I think this is something that um, he's going to have to go through, through with. Um, this basically was... The, in my opinion, one of the things that won in the election, um, a lot of the swing states, um, states like Michigan, states like Ohio, states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, all of these states were heavily, heavily impacted by NAFTA and by trade deals. Um, I mean, a lot of the, the towns and communities there is just devastated with all of the companies leaving um, and all of the jobs lost that were offshored overseas. And um, this was an area that he right away uh, made part of his campaign to look at these trade deals. We heard many times with Donald Trump while he was on the campaign trail that he does great deals, he's going to 
get better deals. He's going to renegotiate these deals. And this was also an area that Bernie Saunders really tapped into. Both of them saw the devastation and pain that these trade deals actually caused in these states and in these communities. So both of them really um, made this extremely important points and policy changes of their presidential runs. He also has in there uh, direct secretary of the treasury to label China as a currency manipulator. Now we've covered in the show many things going on right now in uh, the global financial system. We've got uh, a huge, huge event that happened on October 1st where uh, the Chinese yuan was included in the IMF's uh, basket of currencies called the Special Drawing Rights. And um, we've also covered some news where the Chinese government has uh, depegged loosely their currency from the dollar. I think we're going to see more and more currency manipulation but uh, by China and then also by the United States um, as these two uh, global economic giants uh, try to establish themselves as the economic power on the global stage. Staying on international trade, uh, Trump will also end the Offshoring Act and establish tariffs to discourage companies from laying off their workers in order to relocate to other countries and then ship their products back into the United States tax-free. So he's definitely going to slap some tariffs on companies that offshore uh, manufacturing and then try to bring in those products again into the United States tax-free. You know, Donald Trump also spoke about lowering corporate taxes to lure companies back into the United States and keep them in the United States. And I will say this about Donald Trump. As a businessman and a businessman that has done business overseas and outsourced business overseas, I I really think he understands why he was forced to outsource his product manufacturing overseas. And I think he should be able to tackle this problem. Um, it's no secret that a lot of his own products, like I think some of his ties, were made in different countries. And he actually pointed it out. He said, I have to do this because of the current trade deals that we have. So I think he does get what the problem is and why he has to do that and how to fix that. And I do also think that he understands what I think most politicians don't seem to understand yet, especially in the global economy and the information age. And that's that governments and countries are competing for not only citizens and people, but corporations and companies. I mean, Ireland seems to get it. You know, if you make the the business climate attractive for a corporation or company, they want to do business in your country and also move to your country, which, which you know, it's going to bring jobs and tax revenue and will support an economy of businesses and people in those countries and cities and towns that it, that it relocates to. Just think of a, if a, a big corporation moves into a town – all the other jobs that flow from that corporation uh, and all the suppliers for that business, I mean, it, it really brings economic growth to areas. And I think that 
he does get it. What I'm not saying here is don't give corporations incentives or tax credits because that's basically just bribing them to come to your country or your state. But if you provide a favorable business climate with a low-tax environment for them, everybody wins because when corporate taxes are lower, corporations stay in the country or state and they pay those taxes. But if they're high, they try to find legal ways to get around paying the taxes, number one, and then structure their affairs accordingly through offshore legal entities to get around it, and you don't get any taxes whatsoever. I think there's a ton of companies doing it right now. I'm not going to to jump into that and and (laughs) name names, but there are a ton of companies currently doing that. So if you do create an environment, a positive business environment that supports production and supports growth and supports a climate where entrepreneurs can flourish and start businesses and small businesses can grow and create jobs for people in the economy, that is something that he would understand having been in business. Now, more on Trump's economic outlook. We've mentioned spending uh, large amounts of money on infrastructure And that was something that Hillary Clinton actually was going to do as well, and I believe Bernie Saunders as well. So everybody was pretty much in line that we do need to upgrade our infrastructure and invest in the the infrastructure of the country that will also create jobs. Um, But Trump also looked at deregulation to boost growth. Now, I'll say this on deregulation. There is a new study that show that the United States businesses spend more on regulatory compliance than Russia's GDP. So I personally don't think that we should deregulate everything down to the bone. But here's the truth. And, and being in the financial industry, regulations today are really in place to make it impossible for little guys like me to compete with bigger institutions. So it's really not, if you look at a lot of these regulations, it's not to protect the consumer, but to protect the big guys. So I understand that industries are different, but I can see this being a trend across other industries as well, since a lot of the big corporations write the laws these days, and then they sell it basically to Congress through lobbyists. So I can see that part spurring a little bit of growth. And another part of his his economic plan, too, is massive tax cuts on small businesses in the middle class, and then also um, tax hikes in other areas. I believe he spoke about the tax on dividends. Again, we'll have to see if that's a reality, but that was just some of the things that he spoke about. As far as Trump's tax plan, I'm not going to get into much detail about that because I actually do want to have a tax expert on the show um, to talk about this because I am not a tax expert as at all, as I've mentioned before. But in, his, uh, in Donald Trump's um, contract with the American voter, he, uh, he says under Middle Class Tax Relief and Simplification Act, An economic plan designed to grow the economy 4% per year and create at least 25 million new jobs through massive tax reduction and simplification. 
in combination with trade reform, regulatory relief, and lifting the restrictions on American energy. The largest tax deductions are for the middle class. A middle class family with two children will get a 35% tax cut. The current number of brackets will be reduced from seven to three, and tax reforms will likewise be greatly simplified. The business rate will be lowered from 35% to 15%, and trillions of dollars of the American corporate money overseas can now be brought back at a 10% rate. Very, very interesting. Again, um, this will be covered in more depth by a tax professional, but what I will say is that I think we can all agree that uh, tax the tax code is out of control in the United States. Um, there has been an entire industry created just around doing your taxes, and that's just for the average person um, filing their taxes. I mean, it's it's kind of insane. Um, and with folks that have more complicated tax situations, I mean, they they do have to spend a lot of money to get tax professionals to help them. So I think that's definitely something that we could agree on just by briefly looking at this. And then also, as we've discussed, that there's a ton of corporations structuring their affairs in such a way that their money's offshore and they don't pay taxes in the United States because the tax rate is so high. So there will be money that potentially could come back. Now the question is, Will the positions and policies that uh, Donald Trump will bring with his presidency encourage a favorable business environment and then also have a lot of the corporations bring back money from overseas in the United States? Another position of uh, Donald Trump was the repeal and replace Obamacare. Now, whether you think it's good or bad, it does create a level of uncertainty for people, especially small businesses that create the most jobs. You know, people that are uncertain do not act decisively. So this could put job growth on hold for a little bit. If uh, President-elect Trump does not act quickly and immediately repeal and replace this and create more clarity and certainty, um, so... If he does do this quickly, this would help uh, small businesses have a little bit more certainty and um, be able to be more comfortable to take action. You know, we've covered also in previous podcasts social programs like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and they are, for all intensive purposes, broke, um, insolvent, as we covered on the show. Trump will inherit this mess. You know, Social Security in their own reports will not be able to cover their obligations in 2034. And, you know, in the next four years, there'll be a very large group of baby boomers putting more pressure on these programs. Who knows whether Trump during his presidency will just keep plugging along with these programs or make cuts. I have no idea And uh, I did try to research a little bit online, but didn't find any information to this. So what are some of the policy implications for small businesses? 
Now, obviously, I've spoken about less regulation on certain business activities. So clearly, his plan is to eliminate a lot of red tape and speed up production to spur economic growth. And, you know, there are side effects to deregulation. And as I've mentioned before, that in my opinion, a lot of it is not to protect the public, um, but to protect big corporations. So I can also see that a lot of these proposals will be hotly debated uh, by Congress. Your business can benefit from a lot less controversial deregulation proposals. So there could be some some fantastic opportunities for small business owners out there. One very interesting point that um, that Garrett Gunderson made, a person that I've been following for quite a while now too, is that in some of the positions and policies of Donald Trump, there will be incentives to use cash instead of debt for corporations. Now, corporations have been hoarding cash for the last eight to 10 years. I think Apple at one stage had a bigger cash position than the United States government. And they are incentivized to borrow money because of the low rates. Now, Trump wants to get corporations to use their cash to spur the economy. So the idea is to let companies write off large purchases immediately instead of depreciating them over 39 years. And if they do that, they can't write off any interest on loans. So this is incentivize companies to, I think there's, uh, you know, over $2 trillion in hoarded cash reserves. And it's incentivizing them to use this cash instead of relying on new debt. I've touched upon uh, taxes and simplified taxes. And again, we will jump into this into more detail but a very big area for small business owners to pay attention to. Trump's plan does include lowering the business tax rate to 15%, as I've mentioned. And this would apply even to pass-through corporations like S-Corps, which many small business owners use. And by generating most of or all of your personal income from a business, you can lower your tax rate effectively from 33% to 15%. So there are some really good opportunities for small business owners. You can clearly see from just what he's put out that he realizes the importance of small businesses and how important they are to the economy. Um, They employ most of the people in the country, and he really wants small business owners to help this spur this growth that he's talking about for the economy. There's Obviously, a lot of uncertainty about Trump's plan right now. And again, will he implement all of these policies and positions that he campaigned on? Um, How will the country respond? How will Congress respond? And, you know, how many politicians have you seen uh, saying that they're going to do certain things, but they did not? You know, I, I will say a lot in my lifetime. So. I have no idea what to expect if he's actually going to act on a lot of that, but these are some of the plans that he has in place. He does have a Republican majority in the House and the Senate, although he's gotten a lot of pushback and obviously opposition from within his own party. They do have majorities in both of the House and the Senate. I think the key for cash flow investors like us is to – Get as financially 
strong as we possibly can, create as much income streams as we can, and focus our attention on growing our business and creating value for others in areas around our strengths. So here's what I'm focusing on before and after the inauguration of President-elect Trump. I'm going to try and build up as much liquidity as possible in a well-capitalized institution. I've spoken about infinite banking and the mutual insurance companies. And then I'm also going to be speaking with my advisors, like my tax and legal advisor, to see how I can position myself for changes to the tax code and how to take advantage of all of these incentives that have been proposed. And then I'm also going to be focusing on my businesses where I am strong and I can continue to add value to other people that I serve and by serving them effectively and efficiently and always over-delivering because if I do that, then I can increase my income and also look at possible investments to take advantage of in the future. We still have serious economic issues, in my opinion, on the horizon. Um, it's it's not going away. <laughs> um, electing someone uh, as a president is not going to make all of these structural problems that we have um, in our economy and also even the bigger in the global economy go away. We have enormous national debts. We're going to have some rising interest rates, in my opinion, shortly. And we still have federal deficits and a ton of other issues that, that we've discussed on the show. I will finish off today's show by saying that you are the person in charge of your life and you control the destiny of yourself and your family. Presidents will come and go. Politicians will come and go. And regardless of what the outcome was of this election, I am determined to go somewhere and go into a certain direction. You know, I will keep investing in myself and keep building my business and my podcast and keep providing value for more people and try to serve more people. And I will also keep trying to see what's going on out there and reading as much as I can from as many sources as possible and from as many perspectives to understand all the angles and viewpoints so that I can form my own opinion and I can prepare myself and my family for whichever way the wind blows. Remember that you cannot change the direction of the wind but you can adjust your sails and navigate the waters and reach your destination. Thank you so much again for spending some time with me. Please let me know your thoughts on today's show. You can email me at info at cashflowninja.com and or tweet me on Twitter at MC Lobsher. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. You have been listening to the Cashflow Ninja with your host, MC Laubscher, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Today's show notes and resources are available on our website, CashflowNinja.com. 
This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objective, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.